The following is a hoop ball presentation. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode six of On the Fly, brought to you by HoopBall.com. We're providing in-flight insight for all Pella fans. I'm your host, Nick Garisco, and as always, I'm here with Pelicans expert, Michael Pelichet. You can find him at Mike underscore Pelicans. This is the last podcast before the NBA regular season starts, Michael. We have preseason games to cover, and we're going to talk about the Pelicans rotation. And uh, next week, I think we're going to get into some Pelicans fantasy basketball outlooks. But uh, as a reminder... If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and give us a great rating on iTunes or whatever you listen to this on. Uh, let's tip off with some preseason takeaways. Uh, Pelichet, for what it's worth, the Pelicans are 4-0 and this preseason with wins over the Hawks and Bulls, Jazz, and Spurs. Uh, we have the Knicks on Friday in Madison Square Garden to wrap up our five preseason games. And our regular season opener is next Tuesday, a week from today's recording. At the defending champion, defending champion Toronto Raptors. That's a prime time game on TNT. Uh, last week with special guest Jake Madison, we covered the preseason opener, and since then we've had three games. So I'll set the stage by saying the obvious takeaway here, Michael, has to be Zion Williamson, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's been it's been a heck of a preseason, it really has. I, it, this has been. It's not just that he's doing so well. It, it's like he's doing it on like almost a historical level and it is preseason. So we're not going to like go crazy with it, but it's, it really has been, I mean, it's been insane, man. He's basically producing at the same efficiency that he was in college against much better opposition. Right. I mean, versus the bulls, for example, he was 12 for 13 from the field for 29 points, four rebounds and four assists. He's been incredibly efficient, as you've said, and he's actually, you know, he's passed the eye test and he's playing, significant minutes which i've kind of been surprised about i thought we were going to uh you know we kind of took it easy on him in the summer league i know he had the knee issue but we kind of shut him down for that and i thought that we were just you know he's our prized possession so i thought we were just kind of slowly going to work him in but no the pelicans have has he played more minutes than any other pelican i, I think he might have so far in the preseason yeah, so he's played twenty seven point two minutes per game, which is yeah, pretty mean, close that to might be his starter numbers, right? He'll probably yeah. play a little bit more. I think he'll probably be closer to thirty two to thirty four. But I mean it's it's certainly a big workload for a rookie. Rookies honestly don't even top thirty minutes per game usually in the regular season, much less the preseason, much less after a summer of doing all kinds of, you know, endorsement deals and, and traveling around and all that stuff. He's been he's been playing he's been playing a lot. Right. I think the best way to put it is Zion Williamson has been as advertised, right? I mean, that that's kind of what I think of. And that's that's high billing, right? I mean, that's that's more than what we could ask for. I mean, his expectations are so sky high that, you know, if he's playing as advertised, that is great news for the New Orleans Pelicans. Another rookie uh no i mean Nikhil alexander walker out there he has been shining what, what's your takeaway on him honestly i, I think Nikhil alexander walker is already the third best guard on our roster and i'm including reddick and wow. I, I think he's behind lonzo i think he's behind drew 
I've been blown away by how good he is. And I, I really, I, I want to make sure that this is on the record because I don't, I don't typically praise rookies. Zion's an exception to that. Um, and even with Zion, we could get into some individual things that I don't think he's doing particularly well, mostly on defense. Um, but in terms of, I don't think I've ever seen a rookie, at least in a New Orleans uniform, play quite like this. Aside from Chris Paul, of course. Nikhil is not only a really gifted passer, and I think it's easy to look at the offensive game and, and to say really exciting things, but it's actually not just that. It's it's when he doesn't have the ball, he's moving without the ball, he's got really good shot prep. I think he's, on defense, he's extremely aware of what's going on, even when he doesn't have the ball. He slithers around screens, he works hard, he competes. All of these things, I mean, I he's a well-rounded player already, and he's only 21 years old. I, I really haven't, I mean this when I say it, I, I think he's an all-star at some point in his career. I really think he's that good, and I don't, I say that without really any doubt. I, I think he is just fantastic. I, I honestly, like, I, I, I'm blown away by how good he's been. That is extremely high praise, and that, that's more than I thought was going to come from you here. Uh, as a reminder, Nikhil Alexander Walker was he was the pick that we got for making for trading down with the Hawks, right? Uh, we ended up with Jackson Hayes and No, I, I think it was like pick twenty-two or something like that. I could be off on that number, but yeah. I think we mm-hmm. got him because of that trade, right? Yeah, so we traded for eight seventeen. So seventeen was Alexander okay, Walker, 17. and then I'm sorry. About uh, that. No, no, that's all right. And then uh, they also had uh, I want to say DD also came. I think it was pick thirty five. I'll have to check that one myself. But so yeah, they Alex, those three picks. Yep. I mean, Naw has been so impressive this preseason. I mean, his numbers. He's only played you know fifteen, nineteen, sixteen, twenty three minutes in in the four games so far, but. You know, he's averaging, you know, I'm looking at his numbers right now, 12, 13, 22, 13 points. So he's averaging about 15 points a game and, you know, has quite a few assists. He had two games with seven assists and he's had two, two threes the first game, three threes the second game, four threes the third game, and two threes the fourth game. Uh, I mean, this is all in only 18.5 minutes a game, I think is my calculation there. I've been, and he's been very efficient. He's not a guy that's just jacking up shots so he can get those high three numbers or high point totals. I mean, what what is he shooting, like 50% right now or something like that? So it depends on if you're using a traditional field goal percentage or one that adjusts for threes. So like a true shooting perspective, he's extremely efficient. He's about... I think almost 60%, which is very efficient, especially at his volume. Um, now, again, that, that factors in. So, so his tech, his actual field goal percentage number is 43.5, but the reason it's so low is about actually over half of his shots are coming from three. So true shooting is a much better indicator of his overall efficiency. And like you said, so on a per 36-minute basis, which is a pretty big load, certainly more than he'll get this year, He's averaging about 29 points and nine nine wow. assists. Now, I mean, so, you know, again, I don't if – you, if you go down the roster and you look at all the different per 36s, they're all extremely inflated. So Zion's at 31 points, uh, Nikhil's at 29, Jaleel's at 28, and uh, Drew's at 27.5. Now, now, given that Jaleel didn't play a lot of minutes, Nikhil and Zion have played a whole lot more minutes than he has – you're not going to get 29 points per game from Nikhil Alexander-Walker as a rookie. I can promise you that. But everything that I've seen, and again, it's not just the stats. So he's averaging almost 10 assists per uh, per 36 minutes. It's it's really about his overall feel for the game. I actually think 
and, and I mean this when I say it, I, I really think he's probably our best prospect that's young outside of Zion already. And I think a lot of that is about how he can operate the pick and roll. I think he's got a really good feel for when to be aggressive and score himself versus including his teammates. He makes some risky passes that we had talked about this summer. I wasn't anticipating that he would be ready this soon, but I think he's, I think he is. I think he's ready to get not significant, not like 40, you know, 30, 40 minutes a night, but I think he is going to get, you know, after a few games, it'll be very evident in my eyes that I don't see that there's anybody else who can run a second unit for our team quite like he can, unless they stagger Lonzo and, and Drew's minutes a whole lot. Is that where you see him? You see him with the second unit. I think he's a type of player who who Alvin Gentry is going to have to find a way to put him on the court. And I realize that the rotations aren't set yet, and we'll get more into the rotation later on in this episode. But just speaking of Nall right now, uh, what do you see his opening role being? I don't, I don't know if he's going to get more than a few minutes on the first few nights. Uh, you know, I had a good conversation with Michael McNamara on Twitter today, and he was talking about how often coaches will default to the guy with more experience. I do think that our situation is a little bit different than a typical situation because we're not necessarily trying to maximize our win total this year. Again, we talked about like the sliding scale of where we're balancing you know, winning and, and developing our younger players. But I do think at some level, I really, without somehow staggering Zion, not Zion, uh, Lonzo and, and Drew, I really, I just haven't seen anything from anybody else that indicates they could run the point for, for our second unit. And I think that's sort of a natural transition. So if they really see him, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, as a point guard, I think it makes a whole lot of sense to put him on the second unit where you're not interrupting a lot of the other major guys' minutes but you're still giving him a chance to show what he can do. And at the same time, you're also sort of sheltering him from some of the exposure of being thrust into the spotlight. I mean, they've talked about with Zion plenty. Nikhil won't get the same kind of anticipation, but I think it's important to put young players in situations where they can succeed. And I really, I fully expect that when Nikhil gets his, his opportunities that he'll take advantage of them. He's going to have turnovers. A, a guy passes the eye test, but he's going to have turnovers because he's a very aggressive player. And he's uh, that's kind of what I like about him, though, is that he's an extremely confident player when you watch him. So some of his passes, you know, they're a little errant, right? I mean, they're, they're either a little late or trying to fit the ball through tight coverage there. Um, but he seems like the type of player who, you know, it's really starting to click for him. I mean, already this soon. Yeah, I think he – I don't know what it is about him. I mean, I, this is something that I hate to default to, but he's one of those guys who just gets it, and he, and like you said, he passes the eye test. These are all very sort of intangible things. Uh, we're not right. pointing to specifics at this point, but he just he, – he looks like a basketball player in ways that yeah. you really wouldn't he, expect. He looks the part. Yeah, he does, and I, and I feel bad because now we've talked so much about Nikhil. We didn't, I didn't even get a chance to talk about what Zion has been – specifically and I think I'd be crazy to not give more detail on it so Zion is shooting I mentioned his efficiency earlier right now he's shooting 71.4 percent from the field I actually don't have his true shooting right now which again I think is a better indicator I'm, I'm sure it's around there since he's only taken free throws besides that basically and uh but Zion is averaging 31 points for 36 minutes um and again I I think what's really crazy about this and again I, I thought that that 
that Zion would have some sort of adjustment finishing against NBA length. At this point, at least so far, there's been nothing to indicate that that'll be an issue. And I think you can look no further than how he attacked Rudy Gobert, because Rudy Gobert is, in my mind, the best rim protector in the entire NBA. And so Zion really... He was going right at him, and I think what makes Zion particularly difficult to guard is that Zion is not just explosive vertically, he's extremely explosive uh, horizontally as well. And I think his quickness paired with that, it's really hard to get in front of him, especially for these big guys who, yes, they have more length than Zion and they can reach over and block his shot, but they're not—they're usually more stiff and they're not as agile. And that's what makes Zion so crazy is that right. he can finish through you, he can finish over you, and he can finish the side of you in combination with having yeah yeah, and he has this amazing dexterity around the rim um he can finish with either hand he's really uh, it's been it's been absolutely crazy how good he's been and again not saying that that's going to be something that i don't think he's shooting 71 percent this year i think that would be an outrageous expectation but even if zion shot like 62 or 63 percent as a rookie on high volume it'd be ridiculous like that would be it might be unprecedented for a rookie and it i think he has the possibility of shattering some some rookie records yeah usually the people who are shooting 60 percent are like the deandre jordans who are only taking shots within like you know four feet of the basket or just getting these alley-oop dunks of course um zion williamson's going to be taking more outside shots i know he's going to be driving to the rim a lot but I love how you said that he can finish horizontally. That's a really interesting statement right there because I don't think a lot of people or a lot of analysts really uh, really kind of consider that. And when you say that he can finish around people or to the side of people, what I think you mean is that, uh, just based on watching him, is that he is so athletic compared to some of these centers. And Rudy Gobert is really athletic. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, he's... You know, he is extremely athletic, but a lot of these other centers who are seven footers don't even have near the athleticism that Zion Williamson is, even though Zion's technically shorter. But Zion Williamson can contort his body in certain ways, like when he jumps. And horizontally, when you say that, I think of strength, right? Like he's able to kind of put his hip into somebody and then jump in kind of a different direction. And then finish with the you know the right or left hand depending on what's needed there. While these other centers, you kind of just he's so deceptively strong that they are kind of knocked back on this bump on this hip check, right? And they're knocked back, and then they just stick their long arms out there. And normally they're in position to block a, a guy, right? Normally they're in position for a block, but with Zion, the way he can contort his body and the way he can. Uh, just kind of change direction and then finish with either hand, they, they're missing on the block, right? Like they, Zion gets the space that he needs from his, you know, from the way that he uses his strength. And he's deceptively strong. I mean, he's shorter than all these guys, but he's stronger than them. And it's been pretty impressive to watch. Yeah, and I'd say too, like not just the way that he can contort his body, like you're saying, although that is absolutely a, a big thing for him. I think it's how... I really don't, you know, I think of explosion in a lot of different ways, right? So, like, you have guys who can get up over anybody. Um, maybe, like, a Gerald Green is a, is a good example, although Gerald Green is a toothpick. Poor guy just got hurt pretty seriously. But Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah. He's on IR now, right? 
Uh, they, they're wondering if he's going to be out for like the season. whole season. I don't know if it's been yeah. confirmed yet. It's certainly it's speculated that he might be. But I mean, there are guys who who can get over players. There are guys who are very quick end to end, but they're not necessarily good at getting up and above people. And I, I think with Zion is really about how explosive he is to where he can jump. And he's not just going straight forward. He's actually going. It's really almost like an agility thing. And I, I don't, again, it's because he's explosive in all facets of his movement that no one really knows, at least that I've seen so far, how to, to handle that. I mean, I think, right. I do think from a standstill, you know, if he gets stuck under the basket without momentum, like maybe then he will have the issues that I, I had anticipated. But I would say otherwise, no, I, I'll walk it back and say I, the way that he attacked Gobert, the way that he's attacked everyone at, I mean, combined with his handle, it's not just the explosion, it's... It's his handle, it's his explosion, it's his timing, it's his dexterity around the rim. He's really just the most amazing finisher on the rim that I think I've ever seen, and I, I that might include LeBron. I, I, he's on he's on that level to where finishing around the rim, I think he's in LeBron's category, which is a hell of a thing to say. Right. I mean, LeBron's one of the best drivers of really all time, honestly. Uh, that was a big criticism early in his career is that LeBron should have driven the ball more because he was that dominant at it uh, but but either way what's interesting about Zion here is that he kind of reminds me of a of, uh, of an NFL pass rusher to where you know you he's one with multiple moves right like he's not just speedy speed rushing to get around uh, to getting around the left tackle here just trying to beat him to the outside every time right Zion Williamson you know He's got the spin move. He's got the bull rush. All these football equivalents here. He's a pass rusher that has all kinds of different moves, and it kind of puts centers, or you know, offensive tackles in my analogy here, in in a situation where they don't really know what to expect when when he gets the ball or when the ball snapped, right? And Zion can beat you in different ways, so it kind of leaves them uh, not not necessarily guessing, but it leaves them just a you know. A, a couple milliseconds late and that that's really all it takes yeah he's definitely multi-dimensional and i think you know one of the more interesting things is if i don't even know if this is a thing but he might it might be useful to develop some sort of like floater game you know in the yeah. midst of his career but i don't know if he'll need it i i, I mean at some point he probably <laughs> will when he slows down but i just i haven't seen someone finish at the rim quite like he is able to and that includes again i i like him a lot to blake griffin but I think he's a like a souped-up version of Blake Griffin. And Blake Griffin, when he was young, and Blake Griffin's still a very good player, but when Blake Griffin was young, I mean, he was something that the league hadn't really seen in, in a good while. So he's, yeah, yeah Zion's just fantastic. I, it's it's hard to, to say that enough. Definitely. I mean, those have been the two biggest takeaways is Naw and Zion Williamson from preseason. Do you have any other, you know, maybe veteran takeaways here? I know that, you know, Drew has missed a game or two. I know that uh, Derek Favors isn't playing a lot of minutes uh, yet. I'm, I'm assuming they're trying to conserve him there. I know that Reddick's not really playing a lot of minutes for the same reason. Uh, what are some – Lonzo is playing a couple of minutes, though. And What are some of your other takeaways on Pelicans veterans for the preseason? So I'd say one of the ones that stuck out to me is really about Brandon Ingram and – you know, I want to keep this balanced. Brandon Ingram, I, I want to say graded out as a very, very efficient isolation isolation scorer last year and probably the year before that. 
He's interesting, though, because isolation basketball has its limits. Isolation basketball has a tendency to exclude other players on the team from that movement. I mean, the whole goal of initiating an offense or initiating any movement is to get an extremely efficient shot. And typically, you know, if you're a very good player, you're going to be drawing multiple defenders as well, which is going to create efficient shots for your teammates. But what stands out to me with Ingram is Ingram is able to sort of slither past people, but it takes him a a good while to set up his shot. And I think he's sort of a throwback towards an older era of player and and an older style of play, I think, that where you get the little Anthony kind of situation kind of yeah and I I, he's he's a different player from Anthony but what I see about him is it takes him so much effort to set up a shot and and even if he can fit basically be somewhat efficient himself I think he gets in the score mode where he'll put it sort of put his head down and all of a sudden his blinders are on and I think he loses his ability to really understand where everybody is at that moment and again I think it's because he's putting so much effort into creating a separation that he needs to have his own shot off because he's not did you see that in Los Angeles or do you think that might be by design with the Pelicans who are kind of telling him hey your primary focus is to score the ball because we're going to lead you out on the second unit here and we need some ball scores you know I probably hadn't watched enough of the Lakers to justify giving him a more nuanced opinion about what he was back then you know I it's it feels right and when I had actually tweeted about it some guy some guy from the Lakers actually chimed in and said yeah that that's that's the thing and it's been a thing since he's been in the Lakers um you know given the way that he he scores and given the way that he creates his own separation I, I that would make sense to me because I don't think he's a guy who he's not blowing by you he's certainly not overpowering you like we joked about last week so I think for him it's about using his combination of length and kind of almost craft to create that separation for himself as a primary scorer. And I suppose you're still staunchly in the group of group of Pella fans who believes that Ingram should be coming off the bench, right? Not and not in the starting lineup. I'm trying to figure it out because honestly, my, what's thrown me off a little bit is I really well, yeah, I still would want him on the bench. I was thinking because of Nikhil and and what I want him to be off the bench that maybe I wouldn't, but I think Nikhil and Brandon Ingram would actually be a pretty good combination on the bench. I, I think Redick is a more natural fit for the first unit, especially you know given the fact that they don't have a lot of shooting on that unit. Zion is almost exclusively shot from the rim. Ray favors if he is going to step out. I don't want that so. In my mind, Reddick seems to make the most sense. Now, whether they'll do that, I don't think they'll do that, at least for a little while. But I think if they're ter- if they're talking about pure optimization in terms of lineups, I think the best way to go would definitely be to be Drew, Lonzo, JJ, uh, Zion, Favors, and that's the starting lineup. And then you start putting Nikhil and, and sort of Ingram together. Because I think it'll help him because Nikhil is, is aggressive as a scorer. I don't think he's going to, again, take the, the amount of shots that he's taken so far, he's taken over 20 shots per 36 minutes, which is a, a crazy high number. I, I do think he keeps people involved, though, and I do think that Ingram would benefit from having more looks on that, that unit than he would on the first unit. I think this is a good segue to talk about the Pelicans, how deep of, the, how deep of a team they have this year, and to kind of talk about rotation and lineups here. Uh, we've mentioned that I think there are only six players, returning players on this team from last year. So we're going to be trying a lot of lineup combinations on the floor. We're going to be uh, experimenting and seeing what works and what doesn't, uh, especially early on in the season. And not everyone can play. 
And I think that's a good problem to have, especially when you're a young team that's that's you know supposed to be rebuilding like the Pelicans are supposed to be. But you know we'll be competitive, of course. But it, it seems like a good problem to have when you have too many solid players who can go out on the court. But we do need to figure it out. And I'm curious as to what you who you think might be squeezed out of the rotation, if anyone. I'm having a hard time choosing between Josh Hart and uh, Frank Jackson. I, I think, you know, we've talked about Jackson before, and, and Jackson had yeah. some really awesome scoring moments in both the summer league and in the preseason. Someone who I've always been rooting for seems to be a pretty great guy, almost like a Drew 2.0 in terms of his character. Uh, what I struggle with with Frank is that I don't think on this team his skill set is necessarily needed uh, that's almost that's a little bit redundant but I, I think that he's someone who scores well but I don't see him as a great creator for other people and he's an undersized guard so you don't get a lot of positional versatility with him on defense now I do think that he has a role as a microwave I, I think that that's a perfectly fine place to be as an NBA player but if you're talking about the bench unit you know I, I really think that Nikhil has to get those minutes because I don't I don't see anybody else again that that's remotely capable of running that second unit unless they're staggering. So you see kind of an overlap there, kind of an overlap with Nikhil Alexander Walker and Frank Jackson. Not necessarily an overlap, but I'd say that like if there's only so many guard minutes to go around, then I think there's a possibility that you know he's the one that squeezed out. But maybe you go into two guard lineups, maybe not two guard lineups. That's that's gonna be obvious. But no, maybe maybe Frank Jackson would play off the ball, and we've seen that in the preseason and. Now you're talking me out of my own argument because I, I, <laughs> I could see them running Frank and, and Nikhil on, on that unit if, if they're not playing with Lonzo and Drew. And I, I think right. it would and actually a lot work. Of it's matchup based, right? I mean, different teams that you play mean that you have to defend certain things or you want to take advantage of certain things offensively. Uh, we see teams all the time kind of, you know, play small ball like against the Warriors or, 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 or do the opposite. You know, sometimes the Warriors don't have a you know, true center. So they'll lay it. It's just every team is different is my point. And different coaches will actually play different starting lineups out there to kind of either attack a weakness or to try to uh, combat the other team's strength. So I could see some two guard lineups out there in the second unit. If, if, if they want, you know, some speed and athleticism out there and it's kind of a small ball second union with kind of Ingram leading the charge there. But uh, then we have kind of a lot of scoring on the second unit all of a sudden, right? Like Frank Jackson and uh, Nikhil and Brandon Ingram, right? Is, is that too much scoring on the second unit? Uh, I don't think they're. Do you think that leaves us li- liability elsewhere? No, I don't think so. There's actually a lot of collective playmaking on this team. I, I think there's a lot of scoring in general. I, what I would say, though, and, and Nicola Melli is some, someone that we haven't talked about a whole lot. He would probably be a scorer on that unit as well. Um, there really is just a lot of people who could put up points on this team. Uh, it's like four or five guys between Zion, Drew, Ingram, I would say Nikhil, and then that would probably be the round out. The, Jaleel actually could also put up some points in the second unit in his limited minutes, but I, I think there's enough. I really don't think it's a problem. I think it will be hard to construct. Again, I think the second unit really needs some management from someone beside. Again, it's just Nikhil. Um, but I, I do think that there will be some issues with 
there's a log jam at a lot of different places. And, you know, what does that mean for people getting consistent minutes? Maybe that throws off their confidence. It's not the worst problem to have. It's not a bad thing to have depth. But I do think it, it puts Gentry in a tough spot because someone's got to be left out. There's just there's 240 minutes. Uh, you're not getting everybody. Not everybody's getting minutes. That's just that's just the way that it is. And usually what happens in sports in general is it's never really an issue until you start losing, right? I mean, that's that's when players start to complain about their minutes. That's when they're, they're playing time. That's when, you know, there starts being rifts in the locker room. Uh, if the Pelicans start quickly and they're winning in the Western Conference and they're very competitive, you know, nobody really should be blinking an eye at, you know, the lack of minutes they might be playing because things are working. But when things go poorly, that's when some of these players start to question whether they should be playing more. And I know there are other factors, of course. Some, sometimes these guys are making business decisions. Sometimes players are in a contract year and they want to be playing more for that reason because their livelihoods at stake here. Uh, you mentioned Josh Hart. Uh, Josh Hart is definitely somebody that I struggle to put in the rotation and it's not necessarily because i think he's a bad player i think he can shoot threes i think he was uh, a decent role player for the lakers the last couple of years but i just i'm struggling to you know i feel like he's primarily a, a, a shooter and i'm struggling to find his place uh, even in the second unit for this team i think it's a fair point and you had we talked about earlier i was between frank and and Josh Hart, yeah. and you kind of talked me out of my own argument. So I really think it's Hart. If you look at his team, he's a 3 and D kind of player, and that's that's not a bad archetype, but you really don't have a spot for it. I mean, again, there's just so many guards yeah. on this roster that deserve minutes that someone's getting squeezed out. And so I could see him in some ways. You know, maybe there's a player they want to put Hart on for five or six minutes here and there where they want him to just pick up the guy full court, get in his grill. You know, obviously he's going to have a lot of energy yeah. to expend. I can see that kind of thing, and I, I think he's he's good enough to justify putting him in that role. But that's not a consistent night-to-night role, and I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he's getting consistent minutes. And and again, nothing against Hart; he's a good player. I just I, I don't see who who he's replacing, especially if Etwan Morris is playing. That is that right? Oh yeah, we haven't even we haven't mentioned we have not. I, I don't know how I forgot to mention him. I, wow. I I struggle with Etwan because I I think we talked about and a few podcasts ago about how they told him to take what what six three-pointers a game yeah, and we were six wondering <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's coach speak it's right. coach speak but i think the message was that when he's in the game you know they want him to jack up some threes like they want him to do that but the question is the question i'm we're asking right here on this podcast today is how often is he going to be in the game and that's different right. than what he does when he's in the game so uh, I don't know how often he's going to be in the game. He's kind of like Josh Hart, where it's like, you know, we have some decent three-point shooters in the second unit, uh, or at least scorers, I should say. Uh, maybe they throw him in there when we're trailing by, you know, double-digit points to try to pick up some threes. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. And I know the Pelicans like Etwan, uh, but it, it, it's tough. It's tough. I think he'll get some minutes just because he's a dependable player and he's been on the team long yeah. enough. But I think at some level, what I'm worried about is is who potentially loses minutes because he is playing. So, like, I, I put up a, a very, very loose expectation of what kind of minutes I'm, I'm seeing for different players. 
and there's just not again there's not a lot of wing minutes available and I think if you can talk about people moving up a position to, to maybe like let's just say Zion plays a five some and maybe Ingram slides up to the four I think you can open up some minutes for people like that. I think Moore will get some, but I guess my point is, if Moore's getting some, then someone else isn't. And I really want, I want a few guys to get all the minutes, right? I want Drew, I want Lonzo, I want Nikhil. And as much as I like a lot of the other players, you know, and I think Redick is the other guy who probably needs to get minutes. Those those three or four guys, that's the priority for me. It re- they really are, and I think. You know, maybe in, in Zion. Oh no, no, I'm talking about the, just the guards right now. Uh, yeah, Zion, oh, okay, of course. Zion. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, Zion. I, I would like him <laughs> to get minutes too. Yeah, I'd like him on the court, <laughs> uh, not not on yeah. the bench. But yeah, um, yeah. I think that uh, Etwan Moore, Josh Hart, and Frank Jackson definitely the players that you know are really going to uh, ha- have to you know outwork each other to find roles on this team. But this is all on paper, right? And this is all before the season even starts. So there are always injuries, right? Especially with the Pelicans. I know we brought in uh, tra- head trainer Aaron Nelson over here, and I know he's supposed to make us healthier magically, and I'm sure we will have better uh, health. I mean, that's how it, it's that's how it's been going wherever he's been. But I think that uh, I think that it's important to note that there will be injuries. And that will open up playing time for some of these players. One that I'm very interested in, not that I would ever uh, wish injury upon anyone, but it's worth noting because we talked about in this podcast, is Lonzo Ball is a very valuable player, but he has been brittle. And we've spoken at length about that a couple of episodes ago. Uh, can he stay healthy? Now Now that we've seen Naw play in preseason, it, you know, we have solid depth there, you know, and that's 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 nice to see. Yeah, it is, and I I really think so. The more I watch Lonzo, the more I stand by what my argument for him was is that I don't think he's necessarily a pure point guard who initiates the offense. He's really to me a guy who fills in all of the gaps and who's probably most of most optimized as a secondary playmaker. I look at Lonzo and and Nikhil as as sort of an ideal pairing moving forward. It would be better if Lonzo had a consistent shot, and I think that's really the, the yeah. question mark in all of this. But Lonzo is still a guy that I see as someone who's very very good in scramble situations, someone who has a really really good instinctive feel for the game, and who will fill in a lot of different places during the game where Lonzo won't be a guy who drops ten points in a row, but he will be someone you know in the midst of maybe a momentum like for the other team he might make an important steal he's going to make a lot of filler plays that I absolutely want in my guard and I think Nikhil is actually more of a natural primary initiator so I think that combination long term is something to watch and I do want him getting a lot of minutes because I think Drew is going to be at his best when he doesn't have to to have that burden of playmaking for everybody else and I think that's either going to have to be with Lonzo or Nikhil and and honestly at this point it's probably a little bit premature to put Nikhil in there with with Drew because I mean Drew's Drew deserves to be playing with people who I love Nikhil but he's still he's still young and I I think he is ready but Lonzo is going to be at least a more dependable option than him for at least some time we've talked about the guards at length here We've talked about Zion Williamson and Favors uh, earlier in the podcast. And we talk about Zion all the time. But 
But we haven't really discussed Jaleel Okafor and Melly a lot. You did mention them, but we didn't really get into a deep discussion there. How do you see how do you see their roles on the team? Who's coming off the bench as the second center? And do you think they're going to play together in the second unit? This is one that's probably one of the hardest things for me to figure out. I, I would guess that Nick, uh, not Nikhil, I'm so excited talking about Walker that I keep talking about yeah, him. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so I'd say Nicolo Melli would probably have an edge in my mind. I know that uh, Okafor has done a really good job getting himself in shape. He's addressed a whole lot of things off the court, like his sleep apnea, and he's in fantastic shape. I do think it will probably be matchup dependent, but I would say the majority of times I think Melly would be the guy. I think he's a more well-rounded player. Jaleel, though, I mean, it's no knock against Jaleel. Jaleel has looked good so far. He really looks like he's in awesome shape. He's he's certainly earned a right to be competing for minutes. And I'm not—this is one of those opinions that I'm not as sure on. I would I would lean Melly, but I would not be shocked if Okafor got a lot of minutes, too. Jaleel Okafor was—when Anthony Davis was out last year, uh, especially the majority towards the end of last season, Jaleel Okafor was oftentimes, like, our best big— and now we're sitting here talking about him as like our fourth best big right behind Zion and Favors and, and Melly here, which is, I mean, you keep saying it over and over. It's no knock on Jaleel, but that's where we are now, right? I mean, that's pretty impressive, uh, the improvement that this team's made. And it's more exciting that everything has been av- as advertised during the preseason. I mean, the Pelicans have just kind of uh, parlayed their amazing offseason into great preseason performances. And I, I understand I understand that it's preseason. I get it. It means uh, you know, the win-loss result really means minimal at best, uh, arguably nothing. Um, and the only reason I say minimal is because maybe there's some confidence boost there morale stand, from a morale standpoint. But uh, it could mean obviously nothing. But, you know, you use the preseason to, you know, watch play to scout players like Zion and to kind of confirm beliefs and kind of find out weaknesses here. And the Pelicans players that we're going to be relying on, like Zion Williamson and even some role players who we wanted to see, like Naw, have turned out to look the part. And they just kind of parlayed this exciting offseason into a fun preseason so i'm even more excited than i was about this season after seeing these preseason games yeah and like you said it's not (coughs) excuse me it's not that we're so excited because the pelicans are winning the pelicans are winning like we had talked about they're winning because they're deep and because the the minutes are more uniformly distributed than they they usually are so you're getting you're getting teams who are deep winning more games than they probably would in the regular season. But like you said, I, although it isn't something to conclude based on, I think, what do you, what, what would you prefer to see? Obviously, right? Like it's, you want to see, if yeah, you want to see exactly. anything, you want to see it going well. And everything that I've seen indicates that this would be a good team. Now there will be defensive issues. I think that they will experience. I think they have a lot of new players, a lot of young players, it's going to take time, in my mind, for that defense to gel. So, I, and, and one thing that I haven't yeah. talked about yet with Zion that was actually negative is that Zion can very often get lost without the ball. Nikhil does not right now, which is what makes him an exception to the rule. This is very common for rookies to sort of be lost on defense. So, 
it's something to watch. It's not something to get super frustrated about simply because, honestly, most star players don't really pay attention off the ball. It's very uncommon for them to do that. So it's nothing wrong with Zion yet. It's something that I'd like to see develop over the course of the season and, and hopefully it gets better. Um, and I, I do want to we, say one, so a couple of negative things to balance out all of our. I was optimism. just about to ask. We've been all smiles <laughs> yeah. here, and I want to, I want to kind of before we sign off here, I was just about to ask. You know, what are some of the things that you've seen in the preseason from a takeaway standpoint that you're either a little concerned about going into the regular season, or that you are definitely concerned about, and you want to see the Pelicans improve on moving forward. So one of the things that I've seen, I haven't seen a whole lot from Derek Favors. Now, again, he hasn't played that much, so he's played about 60 minutes. That's true. But I would say that I haven't seen enough to get super excited yet. I, what, what I've been most, I guess, disappointed in is that he really hasn't scored a whole lot. That's not his role in the team, and that's probably him taking a backseat to other primary scorers. And he's also hampered by an injury right now. I think it's a hamstring thing. So it's a hamstring yeah, am I going to throw away, you know, years of basketball because Derek Favors is doing poorly in the preseason? Of course not. You know, I, I would just like to see more from him than we've seen so far. And I actually thought that Favors was going to be our second best player. So right away, I mean, at, at least at this juncture, it looks like Zion will be better than he is. So but what I'd like to see is I'd like to see the Favors that we've seen previously, because that Favors is a very good basketball player. And again, maybe there's no reason to be pessimistic. It's just something to observe. And I just haven't seen a lot from him so far. Yeah, I agree. I think even when he has been out there, he hasn't looked too impressive. Like he's not really jumping off the screen. He's just kind of looked, they say a lot in, in the NFL, they say Jag, which is just another guy. And I know that Favors obviously is not just another guy out there, but that's how he's looked in the preseason. But you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's it is preseason. I mean, that's you know he's probably just going through the motions, I would think. But it is it is very slightly. It's worth mentioning, right? I'm not going to say I'm like really concerned about it, but it's definitely worth mentioning that he's had a very very quiet uh, preseason. What 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 else do you have? Uh, I'd say that. J.J. Redick hasn't been particularly impressive either, but maybe that's the same thing. Yeah, maybe same thing. maybe it's yeah. because J.J. And, and Derek have been here before. I actually don't remember because we've had trouble getting broadcast games for preseason for years, so it's odd. I, I really don't have a great reference point for what I should be expecting from all those older guys. Uh, I think, again, am I going to – so J.J. is shooting 25% from three right now. And Frank's shooting, Frank Jackson's yeah. shooting 53.3. Do I put more stock in either one of those? Well, uh, no, cause I don't. Like, I, Frank's not going to shoot 53%, and, and JJ is certainly not going to shoot 25%. JJ Redick is one of the best three point shooters of all, of all time. So, and, and honestly, and one of the things about Redick that's important to indicate here is that if JJ Redick goes out there and he has an off shooting night, that does not mean that he didn't make a positive impact on the offense because no one is leaving JJ Redick open in an actual NBA game. Period. He's one of the best right. that's ever done I mean, it. It's about space. Yeah, it's about spacing. It's about gravity. No one's leaving him to go double someone else unless it's on like a Zion drive and dunk or something like that. So I, and I think it's important though to balance because we are saying, oh, we shouldn't pay attention to the the negative things about Redick and, and favors. All of that context or all of that, I, I guess, skepticism should probably be applied to everything else. Yeah, I, I've been really— No, I mean, yeah. if, if Favors and Redick actually have quiet regular seasons, we'll legitimately be able to look back 
on this season and say, you know, hey, well, this started in the preseason. I mean, we it's one of those things where if Reddick and Favors for what or and or Favors for whatever reason don't pan out as free agent additions for the Pelicans, it's it's one of those things where it's you look back on it and you say, well, you know, we could have seen this coming, right? Because they they were not they were not impressive in the pre. They, they, they didn't look like they really fit in the preseason, and now they're having a poor regular season. And they, for whatever reason, there just doesn't seem like a fit. So you can't say that it's meaningless because if they do happen to flop or bust here with the Pelicans, then at the very minimum, we should be able to say that we saw it coming, and we should be able to look to the preseason for when this all started. And I, I think so. What, the way that I would explain it too is just as we are talking about to be somewhat skeptical of what's happening po- negatively, to be the same of the positive. So I would say, you know, you have a lot of data on both those players, and that's why I, I'm more inclined to treat it as, as sort of brushing it off. A lot of these younger players, we don't have a lot of data on, and in that way, you know, all of these things are subject to change. I am, I am absolutely, you know, gushing over Nikhil Alexander Walker right now. He has been in summer league, which is inconsequential, really, and then in preseason. Wait, so you're saying he's not going to score 30 <laughs> points a game this year? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's it's like you know, it's it's noticing that there are good things qualita- qualitatively. I think more so than it is quantitatively. And so the fact that the, the yeah. numbers are, spe- are are jumping out, that's wonderful. But are the results sustainable? And they, they have, no, of course they're not sustainable for Nikhil or Zion, but they don't have to be sustainable. If it's 80% of what it is now, then I'll be excited, especially for Zion. For Nikhil, I, I, think he, I think the shooting percentage is probably a little bit better than he'll actually shoot this year, especially as a rookie. It's very uncommon for rookies to be efficient with volume. Zion, I think he'll he's not going to shoot seventy one percent. He might shoot sixty three, and again that would be that would be wonderful and probably shattering I, records. I still think I still think that's high, but yeah, it it maybe, could be. Uh, man, I don't know. I, I they've had. I have to go back and look at Carl Anthony Towns. I know he was extremely efficient his first year. I want to say Jonas Valanciunas, even Davis. Now they, I would say that Zion will probably put up a good amount of points, and so that's what kind of makes it different. Is you know, if you're going to be scoring about 20 points per game and you're extremely efficient already, man, I I, I feel bad for the people who are listening who may, might not be Pelicans fans. They probably are because they are listening. But if Zion, if Zion's anything like this during the regular season, I might be insufferable. I might already be, but I'll be even yeah, more insufferable. I, seriously. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, we've been we've been it throughout the off season, but uh, if it actually pans out like this, I mean, he's actually. I mean, he's been even better than we thought he was going to be, and we're trying to be objective here. I mean, this just this guy is just a freak of nature. I mean, yeah. he's the real deal. Uh, and you mentioned Anthony Davis, and before we sign off, we have to be a little petty here. He had a uh, a sprained thumb in the preseason game. Uh, I take it you're not very surprised, am I right? I, I mean, I'm trying really hard. I, again, I, I never loved Davis as a player. I, I Well, I, I should say that I never loved rooting for him as a player. I always thought he was a fantastic player, and I think he will do awesome things with LeBron, but the, the pettier yeah. part of me does kind of – it's a small injury, so it's nothing to get you – know, I don't want to wish ill on anybody – but uh, but that's all it was with Davis. Though. That's it why it's all, funny. Exactly. You know, like, right. I yeah, wouldn't yeah, be yeah. laughing if he broke his leg or something like that. that right. Would be terrible. I think the funniest. Like, <laughs> but the fact that he has another minor injury is just—it's just funny because like, 
you know, all the Lakers fans might be like freaking out, always getting an MRI and everything like that. And all the Pelicans fans are just kind of rolling their eyes like, yeah, get well, used to that. I mean, he's several first quarters of your games this year. He's going to leave with a bruised, uh, you know, leg or something it's like that. It's the Davis special to go into the locker room and to get x-rayed. Like that guy, that man, whatever yeah. that medical team, if they're getting commissioned based on how many, you know, images they do, yeah, like there. that's, yeah. I mean, so that's the funny part about it. Like you're right. It's not wishing injury. It's the fact that he gets nicked up like everybody in the NBA gets nicked up and he's constantly in the locker room getting whatever kind of treatment or, or scanning or whatever it might be. And I, I do not miss, I will not miss that, assuming that if Zion, if Zion's anything like that, I, I will have a tough time. Just not because I, I love Zion. Yeah. He's, he seems like a great guy. Um, I'll have a tough time because it's just a sore spot. And I, and I just, I've had enough of it. I, I would. And you don't want to be hypocritical. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I'll love Zion probably for a good while because the, the person that he is and the character that he is. But uh, I just don't want to have to go through it again as I guess the, the bigger point because it was rough. Yeah. I think that has to wrap up this week's episode here. Uh, thank you all for tuning in to On The Fly, the official New Orleans Pelicans podcast for HoopBall.com, in-flight insight for the sharpest Pella fans. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to On The Fly and give us a great five-star rating on iTunes. You can also give us a follow on Twitter at Mike underscore Pelicans, and I'm at Fantasy Law Guy. Tune in next week. Flock up, Pella fans. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.